today's reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the, and the, the despised things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, and so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lily, for reading that so well. And uh, good morning again, St. Stephen's. It's a real joy to be here this morning. And um, uh, and it's a celebration service this morning. Joel hasn't said anything about it, but um, we're sharing the Lord's Supper, as he said earlier. And it's Joel's, I think, first time presiding at the Lord's Supper uh, now that he's been ordained presbyter. So it's a great morning. Joel, I'm here to examine you and <laughs> mark you on that. Uh, let me... Um, you might wonder why I've chosen this passage. I didn't really choose this passage. I have to um, speak on it to a different group next week. But uh, as I was looking at it, I thought it's really applicable to all of us. Uh, I'm speaking next week to a, a, a group of people that are in ministry. But uh, the more I thought about it and reflected on it, this is something that's so important, I think, for all of us as Christians. And so uh, that's why we're looking at this particular passage as a one-off this morning. So let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. Forgive us for those times when we take it for granted. Forgive us for those times when we fail to see exactly what it means and what it achieves and all that it is. And we pray that this morning, by your spirit, may we come to a deeper understanding and appreciation for it. And may that pay huge dividends in our lives, in what we understand and what we know and trust and in the way that we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, things are not always as they seem. That's the thrust of this passage this morning from 1 Corinthians. Things are not always what they seem. And you can see that in the very first verse of this 1 Corinthians passage. The key verse which shows us what this whole passage is about, verse 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Here's the main point for us today. The cross looks one way, to most of the people in this world who Paul describes uh, as the perishing, but to us who know better, to us who are Christians, the cross is actually something else, not what it appears, but something else. 
It's the power of God for salvation. Later on in the passage, it'll say the wisdom of God. Something not actually being what it appears to be is a common event in our world. And I actually came across this just a couple of weeks ago. As I said before in my interview with Joel, I've done a lot of traveling recently, and I think I expressed I'm sick of airports and planes, and I've got very negative about it. In fact, I need to change my attitude. But a couple of weeks ago, it almost caused problems because I was finally coming home after one of my uh, other trips. I disembarked off the uh, plane, and I was walking along the corridor. I was pulling my hand luggage behind me, and I was just going to turn the corner and um, go to the room where you can pick up your baggage and those sorts of things. I was already tired and grumpy. This is my excuse. And then these two, well, I'd say kids, but one of them would have been 15 and one of them would have been 17. These two young men rushed past me, one on one side, one on the other. One knocked my bag behind me, and I'm so old now, it nearly made me stumble and trip over. And the other whacked my arm, and I was carrying my iPod. And they were shouting, and they were carrying on like Muppets. And I got very angry, and I remember thinking, well, I hope you trip up and hurt yourself, or get arrested, or something commensurate to the crime. They'd really annoyed me, and then they disappeared around the corner. Well, then I turned the corner and went round, and I saw the two of them hugging and kissing, who was clearly their mum. The mum was in tears, and so was one of the boys, and... I totally changed what I was thinking. Because here was something that warms your heart and encourages your soul. Here was two young men that don't often demonstrate love and affection like that, and they were doing it. I'd first thought the actions of these boys were selfless and thoughtless, and it caused a perhaps unnecessary response in me of anger and annoyance. But actually what they were doing was totally motivated by love and excitement. And now that I realised that, it prompted real joy and real pleasure in me. Well, that's something similar to what Paul's describing here in these verses. The cross, for so many people in the world, seems weak. It seems foolish. It's something that's despised and looked down on by others. But in reality, Paul is saying, for us who know better, the cross is actually the power of God for salvation. It's the wisdom of God in this world. And today I want us to think about what that means... Uh, not just what it means academically, but what it means for us as Christians and us as churches. Uh, just before we get into it, let me just say a, a quick word on the context of these words. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And Corinth was a fairly major city back then in that time. It was, uh, it was very like many Western modern cities. It was a major trade city, and therefore it was a hive of business activity. And as is always the case with cities that are uh, kind of a, a hub of um, uh, business, I, um, it, it was big on ideas and it was big on entertainment. In cities that are, are business hubs and those sorts of things, it's always about ideas. What can we do? How can we grow? How can we develop? And those that work hard like to play hard, so it's always big on entertainment as well. And so, do you see, not very distant from Christchurch in 2022. And when you read through the two letters that Paul wrote to the Christians at Corinth, you can see that the churches, the Christians and churches there, struggled in many ways that are familiar to us. Because they were influenced by the city and the culture around them. So as you read through the letters, you see that some of the Corinthians had slipped into immorality instead of being holy, because they were taking on the ways of the world around them. Instead of being humble and loving, 
they prized giftedness and image. So they were, they were taking on these characteristics of the other Corinthians around them. And so Paul writes to them to remind them who they are in Christ. And he says, I preach Christ crucified, and that's what you need to worry about and be thinking about and be reflecting on and be living out. And in the verse just before ours, if you've got your Bible, not just seeing it behind me, th this is what Paul writes in verse 17. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And you can see there the themes that he's going to pick up in our verses today. What, what's Paul's whole ministry? Preaching Christ crucified. Not words of human wisdom, but because otherwise that robs the cross of its power. So Paul says his purpose is to preach the gospel. And then verse 18 picks up on that with, where, where he says, The message of the cross is foolishness to the perishing, but the power of God to us who's being saved. Now there's a lot in this. Paul always packs a lot into his verses, doesn't he? So uh, I'm not going to go into huge detail in everything. I just want to point out three quick, simple points and then think about what those points mean for us. Uh, first point that Paul makes in these verses is the cross looks foolish to the perishing. I've already stated it, but let me just spell it out a little bit more. We've already seen Paul say that in verse 18, the cross is, seems foolish to the perishing, but he also says it in verse 22 and following. Jews demand miraculous signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It's the same point that he's making. He's saying that the cross is always devalued by the world. People don't realize that it's wisdom and strength. And it, that's always been the way, right through the history of the world. Doesn't matter what's valued in the world at any time in history, the cross always fails to deliver what the world thinks is valuable. Back then, Paul says, it was miraculous signs of the power of God that Jews wanted. Well, the cross was the exact opposite of that. Death and failure and loss. The Greeks wanted something wisdom, uh, a kind of great wisdom, something intellectually stimulating and that took a lot of thought. And the cross is simplistic. Even a child can understand it. And the same principle works out today. What the world values, the cross doesn't deliver, and so people look down on it. What does the world value today? Well, here's a few things. I would say that the world, certainly in the West today, values self-esteem and empowerment. We want people to feel good about themselves and be able to cope with life. Well, the cross speaks against that because it says, I'm the problem with the world, and there's nothing I can do about it. And so the cross is looked down upon. Today, the world values diversity. We're all different. We can all chart our own different courses. And yet the Christian gospel is there's one way, the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. There's one cross. The, the cross goes against the values of the world. The cross has always been seen as weak and foolish. What? You think God became human? That's dumb. You think the, the, the righteous man, the one who's worthy of glory and praise, lowers himself to become human and then die on a cross? You think things like sin and judgment have a place? Death equals victory. The immortal dies. There's nothing we can do. We just trust in what he's done. The cross is seen as ridiculous by the world, powerless and foolish. It's seen as failure, shameful, humiliating, 
degrading. The cross has always looked foolish and weak to the world. Always has, always will. We should know that and not be surprised by it. So first point Paul makes in these verses is the cross looks foolish to the world that's perishing. Second point that Paul makes is but actually the cross is the power of God. In actuality. Again, we've seen this in verse 18 where he says, uh, for those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. But again, I'll read verses 22 and 23 and then add on verse 24. So verse 22, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God's called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is Paul's ministry, his gospel message. That's what Paul's ministry centered on. It was the heart of his gospel ministry. And he undertook it precisely because it is the power and wisdom of God. The only way for people to be saved. The things that seem foolish at first are actually completely different and the opposite. The thought that God becomes human is not foolishness, it's glorious. And it speaks to the love of God and the lengths that he goes through for you and I. The thought that he would die, even death on a cross, is not something to look down on. It's kind of trivial. It's something which shows the depths of the way that God values and honors us and the lengths he goes to for us. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the salvation that you and I have as a result of the cross. We're forgiven, totally. Shame on us when we forget what that means. Think about your worst side and worst deeds. It's forgiven. It's been dealt with completely. We who let the Lord down, who cause pain to others, who fail and betray and bomb, we're, we're washed completely spotless. We have our sin removed from us, taken as far as the east is from the west. It's all been done for us by Jesus on the cross. Total victory won for us by God so that we can completely be sure of it. Because if it was up to me, I'd muck it up. But it wasn't up to me. It was up to Jesus, and he's done it fully for us. So Christians don't need to have any ifs or buts or concerns or questions or doubts. We can trust completely in what he's done for us. Absolute victory, total success. We're forgiven. We are credited the righteousness of Christ. You and I have been adopted as the children of God. It's incredible what the cross actually has done. It's the power of God, the wisdom of God. So first, the cross looks foolish to most people. Second, in actuality, the cross is the power of God. Third, and I hope you can see that that's, well, anyway, no, I'll come back to that. Third, God's deliberately done it this way. He's deliberately used what seems foolish, what seems powerless, to achieve his wonderful purposes and plans. Appearances being deceiving is not always deliberate. It wasn't with the case in the airport, but it is the case here. Our verses don't just say that people get it wrong. Our verses say that's deliberate by God. God uses what seems foolish to the world to frustrate the so-called wisdom of the world. God uses what seems weak to the world to show up the so-called power of the world. People think they can work it out themselves and do something themselves. The cross goes directly against that. Have a look at it in these verses. Verse 19 is a quote from Isaiah 29. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. 
Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom didn't know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And then, the verses I haven't looked at yet, verses 26 to 31, Paul moves to a slightly different point, but with the same theme, and, and, and he continues to show it's deliberate by God. Instead of the cross appearing weak and foolish, Paul now moves to say that the people of God are often weak and foolish. Verse 26, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who's become for us the wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, I don't want us to mistake what God's saying here. He's not saying there's something, anything inherently wrong with wisdom and power. In fact, human beings were blessed with wisdom and power, different from the other animals in the world at the beginning. The issue is when we as the creatures think we know more than the creator. When we as the creatures on this planet think we can do things without the creator. That's the problem. When we think we can boast before the almighty God. Boasting comes up twice in those verses. God uses the foolish, lowly, despised things so that no one can boast before him in verse 29. And verse 31, which is a quote from Jeremiah, tells God's people to only boast in the Lord. And that, I think, is the main problem that people in this world have in relationship to God. I wonder whether we, we sometimes say that what I wish people had, I wish they believed in God. But I think it's something more fundamental to that, than that. I don't think it's just a matter of academic or intellectual assent, belief in God. It's actually, I wish they would bow the knee before God. Adam and Eve believed in God. They knew there was a God. But their pride, in their pride, they thought they knew more than their creator. And they thought they could do things without their creator. The devil knows there's a God, but he will not bow the knee before the one who's almighty. Most people in this world believe that there's something outside themselves, that there's some kind of spiritual force, that there's some kind of God. But they think they can decide what that God is, who that God is, what they're like, what they want, all those sorts of things. And they never come up with the cross when they're imagining those things in their mind. And the cross undoes all that. You see, it undoes pride because the cross ensures that only the humble come to the Lord on his terms and are saved by him. And so let me put those three together. First point, the cross looks foolish to the perishing. Secondly, the cross is actually, though, the power of God for salvation. Thirdly, God's done it deliberately that way. Well, let me just, in the last few minutes I've got, explore if that's true, and I hope we agree it is true, what practically should that mean to us and for us as individual Christians and as a church? If the cross seems foolish to the world, but is actually the power of God and God's intended it that way, what should that move us to do, prompt us to be? Well, here's one. The preaching of the cross must continue to be at the very heart of all Christian ministry. The cross might not be trendy, 
The cross might seem offensive, and so we want to kind of stay clear of it. The cross might have some bits which are difficult, and so we avoid it. But the cross is the very power of God for salvation. And therefore, it must be at the heart of all Christian ministry. Even within the church, we can be tempted to move away from this. The Jews demanded powerful signs of God, and the Greeks wanted wisdom. And in Christian life, it's easy to slip into the same thing. What I really want to see, and what I want other people to see, is the power of God and wonderful spiritual things, or the, the academic rigor of God in the scriptures, and the cross, which seems foolish, is the heart of God's plans and purposes for the world. Christ crucified is the thing that we need to preach and live out more than any other itchy ears wanting to hear certain things. It may seem foolish and weak, but it's the very power and wisdom of God. Christ crucified was the heart of Paul's preaching and living out, it must be ours. And a further point to that, if God's deliberately used what looks weak and foolish and used messengers, like verses 26 to 31, that are often the weak and the lowly and despised, why do we so often try and spruce it up when we take it to the world? We try and make it more entertaining. We try and make it less offensive. We try and get more successful Christians who look good to the world to present it because we think that'll work. So we get sports stars that are Christians or entertainers that are Christians. And we try and do it with impressive sizes and lighting and because uh, we think it'll make it look more professional and stronger to the non-Christians who are going to hear it. But God's deliberately dressed it up as weak and foolish. Why would we kind of dress it up contra to God's plans? I'm not saying that we shouldn't try and do the best job that we can, but we sometimes might be undercutting the very thing that God's given us to do it. I've always loved it at St. Stephen's that we've never been an overly professional church in that sense. That you've got to be the absolute best to be able to serve in different roles. Or if you make a mistake up the front, you're never there again. Because it's in our weakness the power of God is seen. We, 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 churches should, I think, reflect the, the, the weakness and lowliness of the cross. We've got to beware trying to dress up the gospel to make it look stronger or to make our ministers look more knowledgeable or to take on the wisdom of the world in the way we preach the gospel because God is humbling the wisdom of the world by the power of the cross. That's one thought about the way we should preach and minister, it should, but it should also impact our lives as Christians. If the cross is the heart of the gospel, if it, the cross is the power of salvation in this world, how should that affect the way you and I live? Here's just a couple of examples. One, it must humble us. We should, we should be people above everyone else in this world of humility. If the cross is to do anything for us, it should humble us as people. It's not because of us that God's done these things. It's despite us being us that God has called us and made us who we are. There's no place for arrogance in, in the life of Christians, especially those who are ministers. We know what God has done for us in our lowly state. How can we ever look down on other people? I'm sometimes ashamed as I hear Christians speak and act towards others, especially sometimes non-Christians, and I feel even worse when I see myself doing it. Humility is non-negotiable because of the cross of Christ. 
Another thing that should uh, be exemplified in our lives, though, which might surprise us when we think of humility, is security. Humility doesn't result in uncertainty for Christians. I don't really know, therefore, who I am or what I am or where I'm going. No, Christians are totally assured, totally confident of who we are, what we are, and where we're going. Not because of us, that's worldly wisdom and arrogance, but because we're supremely confident that Jesus has done it all on the cross. It's perfectly, completely, entirely done by Jesus. And so I know exactly who I am. I'm in Christ. I'm part of God's family. I'm a new creation. My home is with him. It's all done and assured, which means Christians don't have to be insecure. We're at once humble and we have humility, but we're also totally secure, which means we don't have to worry if the message seems weak or if the church seems small or if the world thinks we're insignificant because we know the power of God and the wisdom of God. It means we don't have to be insecure if we fail or muck up because I know my, what my Savior has done for me is more powerful than anything I muck up. Security. So humility, security. Next one. If we're people of the cross, we must be servant-hearted. If we're people of the cross, we must be like the one we follow. We're to pick up our cross and follow him, serving others. There's no place for selfishness or isolation for Christians. We're to serve others as we've been served. We're to put ourselves out for the good of others, intentionally, deliberately, not just when it falls into our laps. We're to be people, too, who are repentant. If we know the cross is the heart of the gospel, we know what, the, what our sin cost the Lord. We know we're forgiven. We also know we continue to sin. So let's repent quickly, easily, fully. And lastly, we should be thankful. We have an incredible God. Can we ever express our thanks for what God's done for us on the cross? We can't. But we can continue to remember how wonderful he's been to us. We can continue to remember how loved we are by him and how secure our future is and therefore remain thankful. Let me finish. We're never in more danger as Christians and churches than when we try and rely on our own wisdom, our own strength, and move away from the cross. Looks, the cross looks like weakness. It looks like foolishness. But like those two boys in the airport looked like they were thought, thoughtless and rude, uh, the cross is not like that. It's the very wisdom and power of God for us. So I pray that we as individuals and as a church will continue to look at Jesus in the cross because it will bring us humility. It will give us security. It will uh, ensure that we're servant-hearted, help us be repent repentant, and make sure we're thankful. So let's preach the cross, trust the cross, live the cross, to a world that needs the cross. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in your Son and on the cross. And again, I pray forgiveness for those times when we take it for granted, when we, we, when we look upon it like so many in the world do and fail to see the glory uh, and the wonder of what you've achieved for us there. I pray that we will bow the knee before you, boast only in you, and that by us living in the light of that, uh, the light of Jesus might shine even more brightly so that others too may see the cross the right way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.